What's up, everybody? Lucas Halton here from Hockey Authority, back with seven straight episode in seven weeks. I'm working really hard and I have a lot of big things in the making. Today, I have a great episode with Tampa Bay Lightning scout Grant Sonier and Summerside Prince Edward Island native. Let's get right into it. How's it going, everybody? Lucas here from Hockey with Tulsi. Today, I'm proud to be joined by Grant Sonier, scout for Tampa Bay Lightning. Grant, how's it going? It's going good, Lucas. How you doing, bud? Good, Harry. Right. Yeah. Getting into the podcast, how has your experience been at the Tampa Bay Lightning so far and winning a Stanley Cup? Uh, it's been it's been quite enjoyable, obviously. The ultimate is winning. So uh, I just, uh, my first year with the team, they had won the Cup the previous year. Um, and then they won back to back. So I don't feel like I had a major impact or uh, influence on that happening. They're a pretty good team when I got hired. So, but I was, I felt very fortunate to be hired during a pandemic. Uh, I previously was working with Carolina as a uh, pro scout. So back to doing amateur, which I, I think I enjoy a little bit more. And Tampa has been wonderful. Just a great team to work for. So as you're speaking on now, you're back to amateur. You're more familiar as you're with the Islanders in the amateur kind of setting. What's the difference, though, from being a pro scout to an amateur scout? Uh, probably projection. You know, when like I'm working for Tampa, we're looking for players that are performing currently in front of us for a draft. But we have to project what they're going to look like when they're 22, 23, 24 years old because everyone's development path is a little bit different. So, um, and when you're watching pro hockey, you're already watching a more established player, um, still lots of development once they turn pro from a young player to a veteran player. But I think that's the big thing. We have to take into account that, that, that the players aren't strong yet, that they haven't developed some of the things that we want to look for in, in hockey players. So when with Tampa, you got the cup for a day, want to kind of spring us through what that day was like? Yeah, that was, that was wild. That was awesome. Um, they, I got a, I got a call shortly after we had won the cup saying that uh, we were going to get it and that I, they wanted to know where I was going to have it. So I immediately started thinking, obviously I'm from Summerside, Prince Edward Island, the other end of the Island from where you are. And uh I, I wanted to bring it back to the rink. I was, uh, when I was a young kid, I was a rink rat. I hung around the arena all the time. Hockey's been a big passion for me. So brought it back there, um, involved some, uh, some old coaches, some people that were important to me and family uh, for a private viewing. Then we opened it up to the public. We had, uh, I think somewhere around 1500 people came out to see the cup and then took it out to a cottage on the, uh, on the uh, beach and, uh, and just had some intimate time with it, lots of good pictures. And the overall experience was really overwhelming. I, I didn't realize how emotional I would get because it's, uh, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty neat thing to do. So how much of an honor was it to kind of give back to your community with presenting them the Stanley Cup? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it, it naturally came to me. I've, I've, I owe a lot of people a lot of thank yous and uh, so it was important that I included my family and some people that had uh, some real big influences on me. And anytime, anytime you can share in, in something that's a positive experience to give other people joy, then uh, I would suggest people do that. So 
it was a lot of fun. A lot of people came out and uh, had a really uh, a really neat experience getting their picture with it because it's there's such an aura about the uh, about the cup, as you know, and uh, you love hockey yourself. So if you ever get your hands on it or get your get to see it, uh, it's it's a really neat thing to do. Yeah, I actually have in like 2013, one of my dad's um, friends, Mike Feudal, won it with Los Angeles and was able to be there. And it's super cool experience as it's all around. And definitely it's once in a lifetime experience for most. And hopefully Tampa can repeat it next year. But when moving on, how much you've been probably scouting for, what, 30 years? Uh, yeah, now you're making me sound really old. Yeah, I've been I've been doing hockey for a long time. So, yeah, we'll say 30 years. So over those 30 years, how much would you say the game changed within speed and just everything throughout your scouting career? And what were adjustments you had to make as a scout? Oh, that's a great question. Um, everyone, everyone refers to it all the time. The game is bigger, stronger, faster. Um, and I think that uh, today's athletes come into major junior much more prepared, as do 18 and 19 year olds. We see more and more of them able to step right in and play in the National Hockey League. And that's because they've, they've dedicated themselves at a young age to get into elite shape. Um, I think that's one thing that's changed for sure is the conditioning of the athlete. Um, one thing that hasn't changed and I have to make sure that I don't change with time is, is that I still believe a player that has great hockey sense gives them a really good chance to play. If you're not a smart, intelligent hockey player, the higher the level you get, the harder it becomes to play. So just relying on skill alone, um, is, is not an easy path to the national hockey league. So, and I, and I think years ago I used to think that oh, all the skilled players are going to play but no you have to be really smart to be able to play too now also though a lot of these days people are saying from junior to pro you need to skate how do you kind of evaluate the skating when you're sc- scouting well as as i mentioned earlier everyone develops at a different rate so you look at a player that's that's a little bit weaker and not as strong as some of the other players then their stride might not have extension or they might not have the the quickness or the power to get from point A to point B. But if you if you can evaluate that player to have a good stride, um, we look for hitches in skating. So if you're knock kneed or if you're pigeon toed, those are phrases where if your knee collapses in or if your skates point out, then it's harder as as you get stronger and develop your skating it's harder to have a full extension and uh so that's one one or two little things you look for but we have to evaluate the 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 highest ceiling if you will of the player so we we try to factor all that in now when seeing players go from midget to qmjhl or like junior in general then junior to Pro, what would you say the biggest struggle for most players are with making the adjustments of each level? Well, strength for sure. Um, you know, oftentimes you see players that are a big, strong junior player that that are able to do a lot of things because they're overmatching and overpowering players. But that disappears when you get up to the next level because everybody's big and strong in the NHL. So that's one thing you have to be really careful of. Does the player have success just because he's bigger and stronger? Because if you're in the elite of bigger and stronger in the NHL, 
that's a rare, rare group. So uh, that's one thing. They probably, the other thing would be just the ability to be able to read and react to the speed of the game. That's uh, so we're looking for speed of execution. Even if the game is slower at the junior level, we're still looking for players that move the puck quickly, jump to the open ice quickly, get the spaces on time. And uh, that will certainly be something that a lot of players have a hard time adjusting to. So as you said, smart players, but when you're scouting, you probably take notes, have a checklist what really everyone there's plenty of smart players in this day and age, but what makes those players that much better than everyone else? Like, what do you look most for? Well, it's, it's really a three pronged approach um, because if you're really smart, but you don't work hard, you're not going to be in the good books with very many coaches and you're probably not going to be in the good books with very many scouts. So with that hockey IQ has to come the right mentality, the ability to, to want to go out and make a difference every shift. And that's not just offensively, but defensively. I mean, you're the son of a hockey coach. So I'm sure your dad tells you playing yeah. on the right side of the puck is important and playing the right way is important. And that's obviously evident in the way in which his teams play. So that's uh, that's a really big part to it. So the work ethic, the hockey IQ, and then there's the skill level, the athleticism of the player, the skating, the fast twitch fiber, the puck handling, those things are things that are constantly worked on. So if, if you're just smart, you're probably not going to play if you don't work hard. If you're just work hard and you don't work hard in an intelligent way, you're going to struggle. And then you got to have a certain level of skill to be able to play. Definitely. So one that a lot of the listeners are probably wondering, what's like an NHL draft experience? I've been to multiple, but none of us are ever down on the desk. I've seen some desk experience at the QMJHL level, but while junior to pro, that's quite a hop. So what's kind of your draft day experience? Well, it's really the culmination of just you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of games by, by a group and a staff that merge all the players into one list and we come up with the types of players we want. So we have a bunch of boxes that we want to check off with our players. And obviously if you check off all the boxes with hockey sense and character and skill, then you're probably getting drafted near the top of the draft. And as you get deeper into the draft, we're, we're still hold a premium on those things. Um, but obviously, as you get deeper into the draft, there's less and less chance of, of being able to overcome the odds. So it's a, it's a really it's a fun time. Um, I've worked for a lot of different teams and everyone operates a little bit differently. But I can tell you, Tampa, we 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 spare no cost. We spare no uh, we, we just don't we don't allow anything else to come in. But every resource to make sure that we make the best possible decision. So we see as many games as we can. We travel to the ends of the earth to watch games. We're wanting to watch games live uh, versus just watching um, video on players to have a better handle on it. And then we all get together and uh, we hopefully have a, a great draft. If you can have three or four players out of one draft ever make it, then uh, you can really turn your franchise around in a hurry, but you got to have a couple each year that play. And that's the goal. How unique is a culture being surrounded by so many amazing scouts from in the pro standpoint, it's from all over the world. 
So how unique is it to, obviously you met most of the scouts, but some of the Europe and et cetera, you never met until the draft. So how special is that to meet and see all the different styles of other scouts? Yeah, that's really neat. Like I, you mentioned how many years I've been doing this. So over those years uh, and with all the different teams that I've worked for, I've obviously got to meet a lot of people. And I think one of my strengths as a, as a hockey professional is, is my ability to get to know people and, and uh, you know, to cultivate relationships. So I, I know a lot of really cool people that a lot of them would be household names and a lot of them wouldn't be. Um, but just really experienced, high quality uh, professionals. And, and I learn every day from the, from the people that I'm around uh, with Tampa. So kind of touching in on the topic, as you said, you know, so many people around the scene. What have they all taught you? Uh, wow. How long is the podcast? I've got lots. I've learned lots I think, <laughs> and still learning. Um I, I think most of, most of all for me, I'm, I'm, I would be, I think, self-diagnosed as an emotional person, uh, in my younger years, very, uh, very driven, very, very, um, in love with the game and wanting to, wanting to really do everything I can. I think I've learned to become a little bit more patient. I think, uh, I have a, a high level of respect for people that can keep their emotions in check. And that's something that I've tried to do over the years is just to try to be a little bit more, um, even keeled, which is the type of player I gravitate towards as well. Uh, highs and lows in the sport as a scout, as a player, as a coach, as a manager, um, they all exist. And I think the people that survive and what I've learned from people that I've been around, uh, specific to your question, is to try and find a neutral ground where you can, you know, really keep your, uh, keep your thoughts and, uh, and emotions in check so you can make good decisions. Definitely. So how much is background research important? Because over the years, there's so many sad stories with just teams, not Tampa. There hasn't been any stories. I'm not going to go names, (laughs) but just background research of players who ran into some trouble. How important with a scout when being a scout is to dig in and find that back research that not a lot of people find out like how is a system like for background research in Tampa? We, we have a very extensive interview process. Um, and again, we don't, we don't really leave anything unturned. So we're checking with high school teachers, academic advisors, fitness instructors, and they're all based around character. Uh, we're doing character background checks on on all these uh, draft eligible players, because we know one thing for certain, whether you're the first overall pick or whether you're the last pick in the seventh round, as a pro hockey player, you're gonna have to deal with adversity. It's just a fact. It happens at every level. It's a really big step from midget to major junior. Then it's a massive step from major junior to professional hockey. And as you go along, um, you're going to have to be able to deal with adversity. So we're looking for high character, high quality individuals uh, that we feel will be able to, you know, to hunker in and, and get ready for the, the, to be part of the process. Because that's really what it is with a hockey player. From point A to the end of your career, it's all part of a process. So as you said, you just started working for Tampa, been about a year, then you were with Carolina. What were kind of the, some of the differences with the two organizations? 
Well, other than going from pro to amateur, uh, I was a pro scout. So my area was the New York area. So I've had the Rangers and the Islanders and the Devils, Washington, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Boston were my teams. So in and around that area, there was also, uh, there was also all their American Hockey League teams. So, you know, the, going to the pro game is a little, you see lots of people, but you're more on your own than you are an amateur. Not that I'm not with COVID, not that I'm jumping in cars with other scouts. You know, we're, we're being extra careful when we travel, but usually amateur scouts uh, go in packs a little bit more. So that's one of the big differences, um, you know, being able to, again, remind yourself that you're projecting a lot more from the amateur side was a big difference from an infrastructure and a team standpoint, both uh, really good teams, both are really at a point now where they've got their NHL teams going in the right direction. You know, it's one thing to, it's one thing to be working for a team that's winning more than you're losing, but it's an entirely different atmosphere when the, when the big club's losing a lot. So that can get a little tiring and a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, hard to deal with. So you got to remove yourself from that and just do the job. So as a scout, you have a crazy travel cycle. How is kind of your travel routine throughout the 365 days of the year? Well, we don't have many weekends to ourselves. No, I, so that's, as I get older, I've got a 10 year old daughter, Ellie. I'm sure she'll want to listen to the podcast. So she'll be happy yeah. that I brought her name up and, and my wife are back in Summerside. So I don't get to see them on the weekend, so I'm not going to see as much of her her hockey as I would like. But if I can get home to see a, a game of hers, I will. She's just starting. She's a she's a second year player, uh, an under eleven uh, forward, a big strapping <laughs> left winger. So look out for yeah. her. Um, so yeah, we're on the road a lot. Like I'm currently in Montreal, sitting waiting for a, a flight. So it was good timing to be able to do this today. I'll come home and then. You know, I have no games through the week. The The Quebec Major Junior League and the CHL in general is a weekend league. So we're we're on the go every weekend. And then obviously, if there's weekday games, uh, we'll squeeze those in. We've got some Hockey Canada events and some prospect games that we'll sprinkle in. I've got to get to Tampa for meetings in January and in May. And then any other travel that might be mixed in there based on what we're looking at. So, yeah, it's a I've a lot of hotel nights, a lot of airplanes and a lot of rental cars. So now are you specifically in the QMJHL scouting or are you all across the CHL? I'm in the queue. Yeah. One of the things we, we we've done primarily because of COVID lots of teams are doing it is we've become completely regionalized. So we'll stay in our area, the less traveling outside, uh, certainly outside of Canada, the easier. Um, we've got, we've got people in all areas and, uh, we'll, we'll comb through the entire Quebec league and I'll see every team multiple, multiple times to make sure we're, uh, leaving no stones unturned. So my last question of the podcast, there's a rating system for scouts goes about from a, B and C kind of, uh, from rounds and get drafted. I want to kind of explain that system to the listeners. Yeah, well, you're referring to Central Scouting, which is a public uh, list that comes out. They rate their players A, B, and C. A being first-round players, B being second through fourth round, and C being five through seven rounds or four through seven rounds. So um, that's their way of ranking. Each individual NHL team has their own way of, of, uh, of monitoring players. 
Um, so we have a numbering system and a letter system. So the numbering system would put the player would, would give the type of player he is. So if you're a, a top pair defenseman yep. or if you're a fourth line player, there's a different number. And then we rate them with letters based on where we think they'll be drafted. And then the important thing, like all NHL teams will do is they'll put a line in the draft, not after one through 32, like round one to two, but within each round, if there's a drop off in the quality of player, then we'll have lines within those rounds. And that helps with management if they decide to either trade up to make a pick or trade down to get multiple picks in exchange based on how much we like the player at that particular time in the draft. So that being said, what are the biggest draft day mistakes that you're seeing with your system kind of getting confused? If like a guy hasn't gone on your list, but where like you have a guy ranked, there's another guy there. What's kind of the controversies that go on with drafting? Well, I think I think size is something that's always talked about. Like, and and the game you talked earlier about things that have changed. I think because of the rule changes, the smaller player has more ability to play now because there's less grappling and clutching and holding. When I was your age, they used to teach us to hold our butt end of our stick out. And put it inside the belly of of the when you're yeah. checking to hold the player. Well, it, it, nobody teaches that anymore. Like that was no. a standard play. So yeah. the smaller guys. So I think some of the big mistakes are underestimating a player's IQ and work ethic just because they're small. I think that's often often the case. But there's been but that's that's true of big players too. If you give them too much credit for their size. Um, and then they, and then it's not an asset when they get to the next level. So you're seeing lots of that big players that don't turn out and smaller players that turn out because they were maybe mis misinformed based on their size. Well, that's awesome. Grant. Thanks for coming on today. Everyone that was Grant Sonier scout for Tampa Bay lightning. Thanks for coming on.